Today we discussed Aaron Jones, David Johnson, A.J. Green, and the other interesting players that ended up on our Scott Fishbowl teams. What's up? Welcome into another episode of Fantasy Football in 15 at The Athletic. I am Michael Beller, joined by Derek Van Riper. DVR, what's going on today? Doing great, Beller. I am uh, moving on through a very busy stretch of schedule. The baseball-football overlap is very real. Mm-hmm. Normally, we don't have draft season for both overlapping in July, and I think I'm feeling that a little bit, but uh, it's a good feeling compared to what we were dealing with uh, in April and May and June with so much uncertainty about baseball season even happening at all. And, uh, you know, I'm excited because we've been in the same league. We've been in the same league for the Scott Fishbowl. So we're going to talk about that today. And it's kind of nice to just step back and absorb the team in its entirety and, and to think about you know how well I thought it went and, and kind of figure out where my team might need some improvements on the fly once we get to the season. Yeah, I was going to say we were randomly placed into the same division of the Scott Fishbowl. There are, I'm not even sure how many divisions uh, Scott has gotten us up to at this point, but uh, it's not totally random. You and I are in the Wiffleball division. Scott always picks a theme, if you're unfamiliar with the Scott Fishbowl, always picks a theme of what the divisions are going to be named after. This year it was toys, and you and I both uh, self-selected ourselves into the Wiffleball division, which... Yeah, given our uh, love of the sport of baseball, not necessarily a huge surprise. Uh, Adam Ronis also in that one, another guy in the industry who is a big baseball guy. Uh, our own Brad Ziegler, who you know I think is a big baseball guy, also something <laughs> about playing in the majors. Uh, he ended up in the wiffle ball division as well, so a lot of baseball people in this wiffle ball division. But we are going to talk football and our Scott Fishbowl teams. We're not necessarily going to talk our teams, your team, and my team per se, but we're going to use the re- draft results that you and I compiled to talk about some of the players that ended up on our team. So if you're unfamiliar, maybe you've seen a lot of hashtag SFBX over the last uh, 10 days or so. That is Scott Fishbowl 10. Uh, Scott Fish, a great member of our industry, started this huge industry-wide league uh, 10 years ago. Uh, It's all for a good cause with money going to Fantasy Cares, a great charity uh, that ultimately does a lot of great work uh, really across the country, not just in any one individual uh, area, but across the country. And uh, Scott deserves a hell of a lot of credit and praise for putting this together Every year on the actual league side of things, it is an unconventional format. It's a super flex, so more often than not, you're going to be starting two quarterbacks or wanting to start two quarterbacks. Tight end premium scoring, everyone gets half a point per reception and first down. Tight ends, however, get an additional half point for both of those, so they're getting full point per reception and first down. And a lot of quarterback efficiency goes into the scoring system also. Six points for a passing touchdown, but minus four for an interception. You lose points for sacks taken. You lose points for incompletions. You get a point back or half a point back for a completed pass. So quarterback efficiency certainly is something that we had to keep in mind. I want to start with a couple of guys on your team here, DVR. We've got the draft board. we got a link to the draft board also in the uh, show description. So if you want to follow along with us, please do feel free to do that. Uh, you started out with Saquon Barkley. You had the third overall pick. McCaffrey went first, obviously. Patrick Mahomes, because of that quarterback efficiency, going second. You took Saquon, third overall. Julio Jones with your second pick. And then your third round pick, Aaron Jones. He was the RB13. You took him one spot ahead of Josh Jacobs. The next backs who went off the board, Jonathan Taylor, Todd Gurley, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and David Johnson, the next group of backs coming off the board. Uh, was Aaron Jones an easy selection for you there? And if so, why? 
Yeah, he was. I think the only other back that I was really thinking about was Josh Jacobs because of the workload. I mean, I just think the way the Raiders use Jacobs, the floor is incredibly high. He played hurt last year with that bad shoulder. You could easily see his efficiency ticking up a little bit in year two. But ultimately, I try to buy as many players and draft as many players in top offenses. And that's either an offense that scores a ton or it's an offense that is consistent in terms of having an elite quarterback. That's a really simple strategy, but I try to follow that as much as I possibly can when I'm building uh, the cores of, of my roster. You know, Aaron Jones, for some people, I think because of the, the touchdowns last season, he had 19 total, 16 on the ground, three receiving TDs. I think people see what he did as maybe a little bit fluky just because of that. I'm wondering if the workload could still actually tick up one more level. I think in the passing game especially, the Packers didn't do that much to change the weapons around Aaron Rodgers. And I think with that, Jones maybe running a few more routes is something we could see. Maybe he pushes 65 or 70 receptions after pulling in 49 passes a year ago. I don't know if they're going to let him carry the ball a lot more because as of now, at least Jamal Williams is still there and they drafted A.J. Dillon so they can kind of do uh, thunder and lightning sort of thing. But Jones is the lead back, even if he's sharing some touches. So for me, the key was that he isn't a good offense. He is a focal point in and around the red zone. You take out the big game against Dallas. I think that probably gives you a better idea of what the more likely outcome for him is in terms of TDs over a full season. But I think there's one more level in terms of yards from scrimmage. I think he can get to 17 or 1800 this year. It's always been an efficient runner, always been a dangerous receiver. Last year, the Packers really finally unleashed him, and we saw what he can do with that full role. And I understand where the concerns are coming from, but let's just take away half of his rushing touchdowns from last season, DVR. Take eight touchdowns off the board. Exact same numbers, eight rushing touchdowns away. You're still talking about a guy who finishes as the RB7 in half PPR league, sandwiched in between Austin Eckler and Nick Chubb. That's still a pretty darn good season, and that we are regressing his rushing touchdowns in a significant way. Uh, I, I don't really get why he is being faded at his price point, as we are seeing in certain spots. And even with the different scoring system here, even with the quarterbacks and tight ends being driven up by the scoring system, I think you did very well to get him early third round and as the RB13. Next guy I want to ask you about is A.J. Green. Always an interesting guy to me uh, in any format. You got A.J. Green at the end of the eighth round, wide receiver 30, other wide receivers in that area. T.Y. Hilton went just before him. Next guy's up after him, Marvin Jones, Brandon Cooks, Debo Samuel. I'm sort of buying an A.J. Green resurgence with Joe Burrow under center. Obviously, health is always going to be a question with him, but it feels like a good spot for him this year. Yeah, and I think for me, I love being able to get him as the third receiver. You know, in leagues where you start mm -hmm. three, you can sometimes find that third guy in the late rounds. You can find that guy on the waiver wire. I had Julio in the second round. Keenan Allen was my seventh round pick, I think. Even with the change of quarterback in Los Angeles, Allen's target floor is really safe. If you're getting green as a what-could-go-right sort of pick, you have to think about what he was doing when healthy on a per-game basis. I mean, this is a guy that has been a top-five fantasy receiver for several years in his career. I don't think he gets all the way back to that level, but quarterback play will be as good as it's been in probably three or four years in Cincinnati. I think this could be a team that does have to throw the ball a lot. I think you know Joe Burrow just elevates the floor for this team so much. Uh, so I think with A.J. Green, it's just a matter of is he actually going to be healthy again? I mean, last time we saw him in 2018, 
He averaged 14.3 fantasy points per game in a half PPR format. That's a really good player. Uh, so I, I'm all in at the price on A.J. Green. I'll probably have him everywhere, and I'll probably take my chances with some young up-and-coming players in the later rounds who could ultimately fill that void if, if health, in fact, is a problem for Green this season. Yeah, I think health is really the only concern here. Even on the wrong side of 30, it's uh, worth rolling the dice on him where he's going again. Even if you're not getting prime-level A.J. Green, if you're getting a healthy A.J. Green and what he can still do for you and what has to be a better offense than it's been in the last couple of years in Cincinnati, got to think that A.J. Green is going to have himself a bounce-back season, and you are able to get him even not just in a format like this, but really in any format, looking like you're able to get him as your number three receiver. So a few other interesting guys on your team, you ended up pairing Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Haven't seen that very often in their respective careers, even in these two QB leagues, but you were able to do so, taking advantage of what should be a couple of efficient quarterbacks. Darren Waller, uh, you mentioned Keenan Allen, also Philip Lindsay and Ronald Jones to round out your top four running backs. So Looking like an interesting team. Uh, let's talk about me. Let's talk about me for a little bit. How does that sound? That sound all right to you? We can do that. <laughs> uh, so I started off, I really turned into the quarterback efficiency, and I started off with Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson as my first two picks. I had the ninth overall pick. Some of the more obvious guys were already off the board. So I just decided to go with this QB-heavy strategy, try to lean on two of the more efficient quarterbacks in the NFL, and grab Dak and Russell as my first two picks. Now, I will say, in a traditional Superflex format, which I love to play, this is not my preferred strategy. I usually don't want to go quarterback-quarterback because you do miss out on most of the top-end running back and receiver talent. But with this format, I felt very comfortable with it, and it ended up not really costing me too much, or at least as much as I thought it would, especially at the receiver position. But I do have to say that even though I did it here, it's not something I tend to do in most Superflex leagues. As much as you need to bump up quarterbacks in general, I still think there is a waiting game that can be played at this position in a super flex league. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, Prescott was the third quarterback taken. Mahomes went second overall. Lamar Jackson went fourth overall. And then Prescott to you at nine, followed by Russell Wilson coming back through in round two with that 16th overall pick. So uh, I was surprised that you went receiver, but DeAndre Hopkins, where you got him, was a huge bargain. Mm -hmm. Receivers fell a lot in this draft. They fell a lot in the other Scott Fishbowl drafts as well. The question is, if you go quarterback, quarterback, or even quarterback, quarterback, receiver in any order with your first three picks, or maybe you sneak a tight end in there instead. If you don't draft a running back in the first three rounds, what happens? Do you go zero RB? Do you go one volume play and then kind of chase from there? Uh, you went kind of more in the, let's just see if I can squeeze out a, a low-end RB1 maybe with one of those picks, and, and David Johnson in the fourth. I mean, I think in terms of usage, there's every reason to believe that there's not a lot of competition for him in Houston, it's possible that he's in a better position than he was at least prior to the arrival of Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona. I mean, I, I think there were some dumpster fire offenses in Arizona uh, prior to last season. So maybe that works in his favor. And of course, having traded for him, especially got the other side of that trade too. I think the Texans are going to go out of their way to try to really justify what they did with that move. So I think David Johnson's going to be really busy, and to me, his floor is pretty comparable to the guy that went two picks later in Le'Veon Bell. Like, Le'Veon Bell, 2019, high volume, low efficiency, still passable from a fantasy perspective. I think David Johnson is at a minimum that, but there's a chance he's a lot more. 
Well, I really do think that Bill O'Brien is going to be motivated to get him like 300 touches this season because, you know, Bill O made the trade, Bill O controls the offense, and Bill O knows exactly what has been said about the trade that sent DeAndre Hopkins to Arizona and brought David Johnson and that albatross of a contract to Houston. But the guy can still play uh, before his high ankle sprain last year, which uh, happened in week seven. Uh, through six games, he was playing like a running back one, and I still think that that is something that is possible for him playing alongside Deshaun Watt and with a coach who is motivated to get him the ball. I mean, really, I would like to take credit, but it just felt like this draft kept falling right at my feet in just an absolutely perfect way. And you talk about the idea of taking two quarterbacks and a receiver or two uh, quarterbacks and a tight end for your first three picks in a super flex league. We have one other person in this league who did that. He was picking second overall. And the way when it, by the time things swung back around to him in the fourth round, he settled for Kareem Hunt. And so I was just in a really advantageous spot to be able to pull this off, to get two guys like Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson, DeAndre Hopkins slides to me, and then someone like David Johnson still on the board. So we talk about draft spot determining your path in some former fashion in pretty much any draft, any scoring format, any year. And that certainly happened for me here. I was happy to get David Johnson there. The one guy who I was surprised to see still on the board when he was and who I was happy to scoop up given my build was Mark Ingram. Uh, a full three rounds later in the uh, seventh round, I was able to grab him running back 29. I understand that this team went out and got J.K. Dobbins and that they want to use him, but Mark Ingram had himself a hell of a year alongside uh, Lamar Jackson last year. And it is not like even in a normal year, they would just be handing the reins over to J.K. Dobbins. And in this most unusual of years, I think Mark Ingram retains a huge share, even a larger share than we would normally expect him to have of this Baltimore offense from what he had a year ago and ends up having another big, big year alongside Lamar Jackson. We know what a running quarterback can do for a running back. We saw it for Ingram last year, and I think he can repeat this year, maybe with a little bit of a downgrade in the touchdown numbers he put up last season. Yeah, I mean, Dobbins has the ceiling of being a top five fantasy running back someday. And yes. if Mark Ingram were to get hurt, that could happen in 2020. But I think as long as Ingram is there, I don't see that happening in Dobbins' rookie season. Now, I, I think Dobbins will be startable. Uh, I just think Ingram's going to be 15 carries and a handful of catches every week with ease, unless for some reason his efficiency just falls off a cliff. But I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, love the offense that he's in. So to me, you know, Mark Ingram is one of the better values in that cluster of running backs. Uh, David Montgomery goes around that range. Devin Singletary goes around that range. Darius Geis kind of falls into that range as well. So I think you did exceptionally well for how that fell into place for you. I mean, you ended up pairing Hopkins with Kenny Galladay and Odell Beckham. Like, you took three of the first 12 receivers, but you only had to take those guys in rounds three, five, and six. I mean, everything did seem to kind of fall your way. We were kind of messaging back and forth during the draft, Mm -hmm. and every single turn, every two picks you had, you're like, well, I was hoping for these guys, and I got them. And the same thing, like, I think three was kind of a sweet spot for me, too. Like, I didn't have that many difficult decisions probably for the first nine rounds of the draft. And I think I had the the min pick on Philip Lindsay at the time. I picked him in the ninth round. I mm-hmm. should have probably taken Darius Geis where I took A.J. Green and then got Green in the ninth. So that's my one regret from all this. But it's nice to see a plan come into focus, and I think yours absolutely did. I like the balance of your team. 
like that you got a, a third quarterback who should start all season two in Dwayne Haskins just in case one of your early round investments misses some time. You want to make sure you have coverage in a league like this. So I think they did a great job overall. Uh, thanks, TVR. I agree with that. That is an important thing to take out of this draft for any Superflex draft, even though I wouldn't necessarily do what I did at the start with Dak and Russell. I definitely want to make sure I come out of a Superflex league, even one like this with the crazy scoring, with at least three starting quarterbacks. You never want to leave a hole there because more often than not, if you are not starting a quarterback in that second spot, you are going to be hurting, especially if you're playing in a more traditional scoring format. And just like that, DVR, that's going to do it for this episode. I wasn't sure it's our first episode after doing 32 State of the Team series, so I wasn't totally sure how it was going to go, but the blink of an eye, just like that, it is all over. So I'm happy we get to do it again tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that and you know every single weekday from today through the end of the football season. If you're out there on iTunes, Spotify, anything like that, please rate, review, subscribe uh, to this podcast. We greatly appreciate it. If you're not an athletic subscriber, that's you out there, Spotify, iTunesers, whatever. You can get a free 30-day trial at theathletic.com slash football in 15. For DVR, I'm Michael Beller. Fantasy Football in 15. We'll be back with you tomorrow.